This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. 1 Kings chapter 18, look with me. In uh, chapter 18, we'll begin here in verse 36. Verse 36, the Bible says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Verse 37 says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Verse 38 says, look with me here, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell. Then the fire of the Lord fell. I'd like to share with you this thought tonight, something the Lord's been speaking to me about for a while now. And when pastor asked me to preach, I couldn't think of a more timely sermon, a message from God, something that God has really gripped my heart with. And going into this revival weekend here, the 24th through the 26th with Evangelist Scott Paul, I'm excited about it. I trust you are as well. And going into this, I couldn't think of a better sermon to preach to our church tonight. Um, this subject of our need for real fire, our need for real fire. Verse 38 says, then the fire of the Lord fell. And I'd like to speak to you very briefly tonight on this subject, our need for real fire. Pray with me. Father, God, use me tonight, I pray. Uh, rid me, Lord, of, of anything that doesn't need to, to be in me right now, Lord, in this very moment that would hinder me, Lord, from being used tonight. I pray that you would use your word. Holy Spirit, fill me, I pray, and work uh, within the words that I speak tonight. Help me to say everything that I need to say that you want me to say, and help me not to say anything that I don't need to say, Lord, I pray. Use your word to speak to the hearts of our people tonight, and uh, we'll trust you and thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All throughout Scripture we find that God has responded by fire. Uh, in some cases, uh, he has appeared in the form of fire and has even been likened to fire, but in every case, fire is seen as a symbol of God's purity, his power, and his presence. As I began to read and to study concerning this truth, I was able to find this truth being displayed in a few different passages leading up to this event taking place in 1 Kings. In Genesis chapter 15, it's a very familiar passage to many of us, God is a flaming torch passed between the pieces of Abraham's sacrifice, confirming his covenant with him. Here the fire speaks of God's purity. It speaks of his holiness and it speaks of his reliability. In Exodus chapter 3, another familiar passage, God appears to Moses in a burning bush. Again, the righteous purity and holiness of God is implied by the presence of fire. Uh, this is further emphasized by God's command to Moses to remove his sandals, and you know the story there, because he was on holy ground. Again, we find in Exodus chapter 13, it depicts God in the form of a pillar of fire. Uh, here the Hebrews saw God not only as the pure and the holy one, but also as their light and guide, as well as their powerful protector. The pillar of fire was assured, it, it assured Israel of God's presence. Think of that. 
Well, here in 1 Kings chapter 18, we find this setting of, on Mount Carmel where the prophet Elijah has proposed really a showdown of sorts, if you will, due to Israel's backsliding into idolatry under the wicked king of, of uh, wicked reign, excuse me, of King Ahab, God withheld the reign for three and a half years according to what we read in James chapter 5. But Elijah summoned the Israelites and their wicked uh, king Ahab to Mount Carmel uh, to propose uh, a settling once and for all the question of who was the one true God. Who was the one true God? The deciding factor would be the God that answered by fire. It's an exciting story, very exciting story. There's a lot of material, a lot of content, a lot of truths that we draw from this passage. But church, uh, there's truth for us in this account. Tonight, in this very moment, in this hour, uh, right here and right now, there's a truth for us uh, to look at. And I want you to look at it with me. The fact is that people of our day, they're waiting on fire to fall. They're waiting for God's fire to fall. How so? I'm referring to the fact that uh, most people in our modern day society simply, they just don't find uh, God, they don't find his church very exciting or relevant for that matter. We try to excite the people with so many temple things, but so many people, nevertheless, they, they don't find God and his church very exciting. I believe uh, that's largely due to the fact that the fire of God's purity his power and his presence has ceased to, uh, to burn amongst God's people, amongst myself at times. And it's a convicting thought. My prayer today, my prayer, and I, I trust this will be yours as well, is Lord, let the fire fall. Let the hearts of your people, our church, uh, burn once again with holy fervor for you, for the Lord, uh, that all the world may know that there is a God, that there's a one true God, and that he lives you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. We sing those songs and uh, what truth we find in them. As we, find, as we view this passage, rather, I want us to, to be aware of what necessitated the falling of fire of God among his people, uh, as well as that results, the results that it produced. The fire of God needed to fall. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down tonight. The fire of, fall, the fire of God rather needed to fall because, number one, the problem amongst God's people. The problem amongst God's people. You see, the people were simply corrupt. They were just corrupt. King Ahab here had led the people into idolatry. Back up with me to verse 17 and 18. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he said, this is Elijah speaking, he said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou, and, thou, and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. And thou hast followed Balaam. Ahab was one of the most wicked kings. If you know anything about the story and about the life of King Ahab, he was one of the most wicked kings that ever reigned over Israel. According to 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 33, it says, And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke excuse me, the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Think of that. In essence, uh, Ahab, he practiced idolatry. He practiced wickedness. He practiced sensuality. It's one thing for a believer to, in a moment of weakness, uh, to fall into idolatry, to fall into sin. But it's another thing for someone to practice it. And that was King Ahab. Uh, this was a sure sign that King Ahab was indeed lost. We know that he didn't know the Lord. And he was leading God's people into idolatry. 
By the way, uh, to the contrary of what you may think, idolatry is alive and well in America today. In fact, it's not only alive and well, it's thriving. Idolatry is indeed thriving in our nation. It's thriving in our world. What other gods could we have beside the Lord? Well, plenty, plenty. Commentary states, for Israel, there was the Canaanite Baals, the god of nature, whose worship was a rampage of gluttony, drunkenness, and ritual prostitution. For us, there were still the great gods of sensuality, money, and unhealthy self-indulgences. Get this, an unholy trinity constituting one god, self. Self. That's the idolatry that we face in our nation every day. That many of you, myself, that's the idolatry that many times we face in our own lives that we wrestle with in our hearts and in our minds. Everything is about me. And this is what, in essence, it was with King Ahab. Everything is about me. It's about myself and I. What can satisfy me? What can I do to make me happy? And that's the mindset of so many of us. That's the mindset of so many of us in our marriages in our homes, in our society, in our church. What can the preacher preach to satisfy my itching ear? What can he do to meet my needs? And that's the mindset of so many of us. Would God that we would have a reverse mindset of that? What can we do to be a help? What can we do to make our marriage better? What can we do to, to, to help our home life, our, 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 our walk with God. God, help us. We need your help. That was not the mindset of King Ahab. Certainly not. You want to know many times what our problem is, is we're looking for satisfaction in simply all the wrong places. We're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. No person can give you abiding satisfaction. Uh, no icon can give you abiding satisfaction. No amount of money can give you deep and dwelling eternal satisfaction. Only Christ can do that. His word can give you satisfaction. His promises found in his word can give you satisfaction. His love can give satisfaction. His sacrificial redemption on the cross can give you eternal, abiding, deep and dwelling satisfaction. At the end of my life, I pray that it will be said of me that he, Jesus Christ, was my all in all. That in him I found deep, abiding, and everlasting joy. Is that you? Can you say that about yourself, about your heart and I, your, your desires? Spurgeon said, once satisfaction, the richest man in England has never found it. The greatest conqueror has never won it. The God who in himself is all sufficient is the only one who can be sufficient to fill the heart of man. What a profound statement. Friend, Jesus Christ is the only answer to your heart's desire. Only he can fill your heart with unspeakable joy, unending joy, everlasting joy. As the chorus goes that we sing here so many, so many Sundays, if you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Oh, what powerful words and what a powerful truth. If we'll take that to heart. If we're going to have abiding joy and satisfaction, we're going to have to be willing to search for it. The problem with so many of us, and I'm speaking, I'm preaching to myself tonight, everything that comes out of my mouth, the Lord has already gripped my heart with. If we're going to have abiding joy, we're going to have to search for it. The problem with so many of us is that we want joy, we desire joy, but we're not willing to search for it. We want satisfaction, we want contentment, but we're not willing to search for it. You want to know where you can find it? Simple, His Word, God's Word but yet we, we neglect it. And I'm guilty of that just as much as anyone else. 
And it's a convicting thought to think about where can we find the joy, the abiding and dwelling deep joy that we long for, his word, God. And that's where you can find contentment. The people were not only corrupt, but they were confused. Look with me in verse 20. It says, So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. 21 says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long how ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. I want you to note here, you need to understand that idolatry had been a recurring problem throughout uh, Israel's history. Uh, they would serve God faithfully for a while, and then they would resort to serving idols for a while. They seemed to lean really on whatever the, the direction uh, the, of the wind of popular opinion was blowing at the time. People in, in our day, they're very much the same, very much in the same spiritual condition. They not only are confused about who God really is, but they wonder, is there even a God? And that's really the spiritual condition of our nation today. How many times do we as believers, though, contribute or even cause that confusion? Think of this. It was a convicting thought. From time to time, you need to ask yourself the question. I need to ask myself the question, am I a contributor to confusion, to spiritual confusion? In what ways, uh, you say, could we contribute to confusion in our society, in our nation, in our homes, in the lives of our friends, our families? Uh, saying that the Holy Spirit lives inside us, but living like he doesn't. Saying that the Holy Spirit lives inside us, but living like he doesn't. Placing your identity in anything other than Jesus Christ. Oh, this, this subject of identity. Oh, I, I feel like I hear a new sermon series on identity every week. But there's a reason, because it's a problem. And when we as believers place our identity in anything other than the person, the work of Jesus Christ, there'll be confusion as a believer. Thirdly, living a faithless life. Think of these things. Living a faithless life. The Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith ought to be the very foundation of our lives. It ought to be the very foundation. I want my son. I want Bennett. I want my sons, I can say now, Lord willing. I want Bennett. I want Baylor uh, to see something in me. I, I want them to see faith exemplified through their father, just as I did through mine. I want them to see that in my everyday life. Even more important than that, I want to please my heavenly father. I want him to be honored with my faith and total dependence upon him. If we're going to take that verse to heart truly, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot please God if you're not living a life of faith. David Gibbs said recently, he said, I don't know what problems you're facing. He said, but I know this, prayer is the answer. What a way we can exemplify faith. Pray. Oh, what a convicting thought. Something that I've been trying to implement more in my own life, in the life of, or in the relationship of my marriage, is to pray. And my wife will tell you so many times, even of late, I've told her, we need to pray together more. Our home needs to be a home of prayer. How many times I've been uh, at, at my father-in-law's home, and they've just gathered everyone together and just prayed with each other. Oh, the peace that God gives when you just seek Him, when you ask Him for His help, when you display your faith and total dependence upon Him through prayer. How long has it been since we've prayed with our spouses? How long has it been since we've prayed with our children? How long has it been, teenagers, since you've prayed with your friends, since you've gotten alone with God and prayed 
by yourself, just to the Lord, pouring out your heart to God. Prayer, what a way to display faith. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Are we allowing the light of Jesus to shine through us? Are we living a life uh, of direct contradiction to the light that we've been given? The fire of God needed to fall, secondly, because of the proposed plan of proof. A little tongue twister for you there. The proposed plan of proof. Elijah here proposes a trial. Look with me in verse 22. The Bible says, Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. Let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood. Put no fire under, and I will dress it with the other bullock. And lay it on wood and put no fire under. 20, verse 24 says, And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. So you see the showdown that's about to happen here in 1 Kings chapter 18. Notice here with me that there was no man-made fire put under the sacrifice. After all, this was not to be about what man could do. Even, even the prophets under, of Baal understood that. This was not to be about what man could do, but about what God could do. People are waiting to see some things from Christians. They're waiting to see the fire of fervor for God in the Christian heart. Our indifference towards God implies his lack of significance in our lives and in our hearts. You want to know the problem with so many of us is we're living spiritually frigid lives, myself included, so many times. I heard this once. A musician was tuning his instrument prior to a concert. He held it for a few seconds uh, before a flaming fireplace. A man asked him why he did this. He replied, I can't seem to get any music out of it when it's cold. And so many times, that's us. That's our lives. We're spiritually cold. One man said it like this, God's children cannot produce the music of hearty service when their lives are spiritually frigid and unresponsive. People need to see the fire of, of commitment, uh, consistency in a way that we live. Our wishy-washy lifestyle, Christian church, our wishy-washy lifestyle sends the message that the word of God or the word that God, uh, the world, excuse me, sends a message to the world that God doesn't really make a difference in one li one's life. Do people see that in me? Do people see a difference in my life? Do people see, do, do, will my children as they grow be able to see God's work in my life? Faith demonstrated in my life. Well, you're about to see some faith demonstrated through the prophet Elijah. People need to see the fire of God's power. They need to see the fire of God's holiness. They need to see the fire of God's presence. May our prayer be, Holy Spirit, fill this place, our church, when we gather together once again, when we're in the Lowe's Food parking lot in this revival meeting coming up. Lord, fill this place wherever it may be. Fill our lives with your presence. Fill our homes with your presence. Do we truly desire for God's glory to be completely uh, filled in our lives? If so, why aren't we living like it? And that's a question that I have to ask myself every day. Why am I not living like it? Scott Pauley said in a meeting a while back, he said, the Shekinah glory will not come down on an unclean vessel. We cannot be filled with the same spirit that we're grieving. We cannot be filled with the same spirit that we're grieving. 
When I heard this, the Holy Spirit of God just smote my heart with conviction. I thought, Holy Spirit, I don't want to grieve you. Uh, Holy Spirit, I don't want to dishonor you. Lord, convict me, consume me, control me, and continually be pleased with the way that I live my life. That was my prayer, and I hope that will be your prayer every day. We see here that Baal is put to the test. Look with me in verse 25. The Bible says, And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. We see here that prayer was enjoined here. Verse 26 says, And they took the bullock which was given to them, and they dressed it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. We see that Baal's priests, they were enthusiastic. Oh, they were enthusiastic. Verse 26 continues to say, look with me, it says, And they leaped upon the altar which was made. They leaped. They leaped upon the altar which was made. Oh, they were passionate about their prayer. They were passionate about their worship to their God, Baal. Verse 27 says, And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God Either he is talking or, is he, he, or he is pursuing or he is in a journey or peradventure he is sleeping and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lassets till the blood gushed out upon them. Now think of this scene here. 450 prophets of Baal. Think of the emotion that was stirred by what they were doing. Oh, they expressed enthusiasm. They expressed passion to the point to where they started cutting themselves. Blood was everywhere. It's a gruesome scene. It's a gory scene. All in worship to their God. All in prayer, begging their God to rain fire from heaven, from the sky. Would God that we would worship Him, not only in truth, but also in spirit. Psalm 111 says, Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. We see here that no matter how loudly they worshiped and prayed, their God did not respond to their efforts. Look with me in verse 29. It says, And it came to pass when midday was passed, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. So a few things to be noted here. The priest of Baal had a prayer, excuse me, but they had no power. They had fervor, but they had no fire. They had an altar, but a God who was absent. Folks, all the fleshly programs and enthusiasm builders of the world won't bring down fire from heaven. But these guys, they had a more basic problem than that. Psalm 135 and verse 15 says this, The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. One commentator said it like this, If actions speak louder than words, then Baal's lack of activity spoke volumes. I can give instruction to my son, to my children. I can give instruction to my son every day of his life. And sometimes, uh, not more than others, but sometimes it may even be good instruction. But if I'm not living out that instruction, if I'm not exemplifying that faith, that counsel, then I cannot expect him to follow in the right direction and certainly not end up in the right destination. 
One commentator states, another application to be made here is this. God is not impressed with the fleshly fire of religious self-effort. No matter how enthusiastic it may be, he's looking for the fire of the Holy Spirit-inspired commitment, dedication, and love toward God that comes from the heart. Think of that. The fire of God needed to fall thirdly because of the preparation of God's prophet. We see here that Elijah repaired the broken altar. Look with me in verse 30. The Bible says, And Elijah said unto the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And I want you to miss this. Verse 31 says, And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. Notice here that, that Ahab and, and Jezebel had ordered all the altars of Jehovah to be destroyed, according to 1 Kings 19 and verse 10. The priests of Baal had destroyed this altar with their false religious behavior. Uh, there's a principle to be found here in that anytime we allow false gods to come into our lives, the altar of God will inevitably suffer. If you're backslidden tonight, if you're away from God today, this evening, you need to repair the altar of your heart and turn your eyes back on Him. The fire of God cannot fall until the altar is repaired. We see here that Elijah removed every possibility of artificiality. Verse 32 says, as we continue, And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he's, he made a trench about the altar, and great, excuse me, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill our barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. Church, there's a lot of fake Christians in our world today. God's not impressed with, with false fire on the altar. He's not impressed with it. He can tell the difference. He can tell the difference uh, in my life, in my heart, in my desires, do I truly desire to serve Him? Do I truly desire uh, to be like Him? And He can tell the difference. He doesn't want you to work up some, something artificial and call it spirituality. He simply wants you to get real with Him and with yourself so that the fire in your life will come only from heaven, only from Him, only from the Holy Spirit of God. Some folks seem to have a fake excitement about God when there's something really wrong at the core. If you're being honest... There's always something wrong at the core. We're always battling with our flesh. But my prayer is that, God, my excitement, may it be real. My enthusiasm, may it be real. My willingness to serve you, may it be real. And may my desire to see souls saved be real. May it not just be a show. We're not here to put on a show. May it be real. Elijah requested to display, uh, excuse me, a display of God, uh, God's power. Look with me in verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that your people, this is his prayer, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. The fire of God needed to fall lastly, and I'll be done. The fire of God needed to fall to display God's power. We see here that the altar 
and the sacrifice were consumed. Verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Friend, it didn't just consume the sacrifice. No, no. It consumed everything around it. Oh, this fire was truly from God. The people came to the right conclusion. We see that the people came to the right conclusion. After, after witnessing this, verse 39 says, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is the God. When God's power is displayed in our lives, God's people, people in general, they'll see. People will take notice, and lives will be changed. How long has it been since you've told someone what Christ has done for you? It's a question that I have to ask myself, and I'm convicted with it every time. How long has it been since you've told someone what Christ has done for you? How long has it been since you've acted like a Christian ought to act towards your wife, your husband, your children? Some of you wonder why the people closest to you have no desire to serve God. How long has it been since they've seen God's power displayed in your life? Here's a better question. Have they ever? Have they ever seen God's power displayed in your life? There's a generation of kids who are looking to someone for substance. They're looking for some, to someone for depth. They're looking to someone for truth. Can they see it in you? And that's a question you have to ask yourself. Can they see it in you? If there's no proof of genuine love for Christ in your life, don't expect your children to have genuine love for Christ. It's as simple as that. We try to complicate things so many times, but it's as simple as that. If I have no proof of genuine love for Christ in my life and I don't display that, I can't expect my children to do the same. It's not enough to say you love the Lord. You must display, demonstrate your love for the Lord in your actions, in your speech, and in your spirit. In your spirit. If we're filled with the Spirit, and our pastor has preached a numerous amount of sermons on that, profound sermons on that, things that have so convicted me about this subject of being filled with the Spirit of God. If we're not filled with the Spirit of God, then our spirit will not be in the right place. Our spirit will not be in check. And you can go ahead and put your money on it. Go ahead and bank on it that you're going to act out in your spirit, that you're going to respond in a way that you're going to regret. You're going to do things in your spirit that would grieve the Holy Spirit of God. One commentary states, the principle here is that when the fire of God falls in a person's life, bringing them to the fervor and full commitment to Christ, every provision for the false gods of the past must be terminated. Not toyed with. If the fire of God's holiness and purity ever falls in your heart and life, the false gods will go. Your trashy habits will cease and no place will be found for all that is not spiritually real in your life. All that is not of God will be condemned and consumed by God's righteousness. I was saved at 15 years old. I remember the day that the fire of God, uh, His power, it fell in my life. But as I continued growing as a teenager, uh, the fire in my heart, if I can just be honest, and many of you can relate, it began to wither. I'd turn my eyes back onto the Lord one day, then fall back into the habitual habits that would hinder my spiritual growth the, the very next day. And it's a daily thing. 
It's, it's a daily walk, and I'm learning that more and more every day. I knew that if God was ever going to really truly use me, if he was ever really going to truly use my life, then all of my worldly practices would have to go. And it comes back to what I spoke of at the beginning of the sermon with King Ahab. What was, what was a sign that he wasn't saved? What was a sign that he didn't know Jehovah, that he didn't know the God of Elijah? And that was simply that he practiced sin. He practiced it. I can imagine that he got up in the morning looking forward to worshiping his gods, looking forward to, to indulging in his sinful practices. It's not that he just stumbled along the way. No, he practiced it. And if we're going to be filled with the Spirit of God, we can't practice it. We need to be filled with the Spirit. If you truly desire for God to transform your life, to use you in a way that will impact the lives of your children, your spouse, your friends, your neighbor, for the glory of God, then the fire of God, it must be rekindled. What a time that we have now. All the things that we're going through in our nation, the things that God's brought our church through, and all how it's been such an encouragement to see the faithfulness of God's people to God's church, uh, to the man of God that he's appointed to lead this church, uh, just the love that's been expressed by our church. It's just been nothing less than an encouragement. But if we're going to see the fire of God fall in our lives, in our homes, then the fire of God must be rekindled in your heart, and it must be evident in your life. Get right with God now. We have a revival meeting coming up. God's going to work. And just as Pastor said, God will see fit to use this as, as he will. Get right with God now. I want you to understand that before the fire of God can be rekindled in your heart, before this can happen, the altar of God must be repaired. The, artific the artificiality of your actions must be removed, and the power of God's working in your life must be requested. If we're ever going to see a generation of young people stand for God and purpose to please Him, then the fire of the Almighty God must be rekindled in our hearts. They have to see it. They have to see it and dwelt in your life, demonstrated in your life, in your home. This was demonstrated through the prophet Elijah. This power was demonstrated through his faith, as we read in this story. The fire of God needed to fall because of the problem among God's people, the proposed plan of proof, the preparation of God's prophet, and to display God's power. I want you to understand, and I'll be done. Elijah didn't seek glory for himself. He sought to glorify God. Everything we do in our lives ought to bring glory and honor to God. If we want to see souls saved, lives changed, homes restored, and our church move forward for the glory of God, then we must desire real fire to fall in our hearts and in our lives. There's a very well-known hymn that we sing here in our church from time to time. It's written by Gene Bartlett, and it goes like this. Set my soul afire, Lord, for thy holy word. Burn it deep within me, let your voice be heard. Millions grope in darkness in this day and hour. I will be your witness, fill me with thy power. Set my soul afire, Lord, for the lost in sin. Give to me a passion as I seek to win. Help me not to falter, never let me fail. Fill me with thy spirit, let thy will prevail. 
Verse 3 says, Set my soul afire, Lord, in my daily life. Far too long I've wandered in this day of strife. Nothing else will matter but to live for thee. I will be your witness as you live in me. The chorus goes, set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. Make my life a witness of thy saving power. Millions grope in darkness waiting for thy word. Set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. May that be our prayer tonight as we go into this revival weekend that God would rekindle the fire in our hearts. That God would rid rid us of any wickedness in our hearts, anything that would that would cause us to stumble, that would cause us to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. May God rid us of that. The great physician, Lord, work on me. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.